The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You're listening to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Fantasy Baseball, still the off-season edition, but that will be changing soon. I'm Lee Keller, joined by John Kuh. Today, we'll be talking about players that we'll be keeping a close eye on in spring training for fantasy purposes. We've broken this down by divisions. Last episode, we did the AL and NL West. Today, we'll cover the AL and NL Central, and next week, we'll finish up with the AL and NL East. Now, before we get into that, like I said, this is the last of the off-season edition, quote-unquote. We will have a new time slot during the regular season, which technically starts for us next week. So, our new official upload time for you to listen to our podcast is Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, so you can expect a new episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball every week on Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So make sure you tune in for that and make sure you follow us on every single platform that you listen to podcasts on. That way, you'll never miss an episode. And next, before we get into our actual topic, John and I are both in TGFBI this season. If you don't know what TGFBI is, it stands for the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational. It's an industry-wide league that's hosted by Justin Mason, where all industry writers, editors, analysts all compete in a central location through various leagues. There is a ton of leagues this year. They're all 15-team standard 5x5 Roto Leagues, and it's so much fun. It happens every season. It's my third season of being in this league, and it's John's first, so it's very exciting for both of us. But John, how are you doing, and how's your TGFBI draft going? Well, I am in the slowest draft out of all 29. (laughs) Sounds about Um, right. TGFBI drafts started on Monday. Um, it is currently Wednesday as we're recording this. And we have managed to get through. Uh, we're in the middle of the fifth round. So uh, <laughs> I am picking 14 out of 15 teams. And I currently have four players picked over the last three days. So, you know, uh, it's going all right. I, it gives me more time to do analysis, I guess. You know, um, I, I get to think a lot more about um, what players I'm picking up and, and stuff like that. But. Um, yeah, it's going really slow. How about you? Well, the juxtapose your slowness for people that are listening. 
We started on Monday, like we said, and it's Wednesday currently at the time of us recording, and we are in the 13th round of RTGFBI <laughs> draft, so yeah, you're going pretty slow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's that's that's got to be fun. I'm, who are some guys that you're kind of glad that you're able to pick up, and maybe some guys that you're kind of annoyed that you missed out on? Yeah, so I was in the 13th spot. I'm currently 13 out of 15. And I kind of wanted either really early at the turn or at the back end of the turn. I didn't want anything to do with the middle of the draft. And mm -hmm. I think yeah. my team has started off really, really well, and I have a solid foundation. I'll see if you think so as well. But my first pick at 13 was Manny Machado. I really wanted one of the top outfielders like Jordan or Mookie or Soto or Tucker. Obviously, those guys might not make it back to me. Like Judge, Julio, and Ronald weren't going to make it to me. But I was hoping yeah, Soto, Betts, or Alvarez would fall. And they were all taken in a row right before me. So I had the choice to make, what, do I go pitcher? Do I go third base, outfield, shortstop? What do I want to do? And I decided I really want to lock down who I have as my second best third baseman in Manny Machado. And I wanted to get him out of the way. And it was a good thing I did because the next picks were Devers, Cole, Riley. So yeah. the next two of the three were third baseman. So I'm glad I went Machado. And I was actually able to, on the turn to get Mike Trout. So I went Machado-Trout to start, and I was kind of happy with it. Even if Trout only plays 130, 140 games, he still hit 40 home runs in 119 games. So mm -hmm. I am okay with that, especially because I think third base and outfield are the weakest positions this year. Second base is also really bad, but third and outfield are by far the worst, in my opinion, in terms of depth, yeah. especially in a 15-teamer. Mm -hmm. So I went Machado-Trout, then I went Mullins which I wanted to get a little bit extra speed. Obviously, Trout's yep. not going to run much, and Machado will run a little bit, but Mullins hammers down that speed, and he was one season removed from 30-30, so the power could be there still. Right, yep. So I took Mullins, then I took Seager, which I'm very, very excited about, especially with the shift change, because I think Seager is going to have a 300 batting average and hit over 30 homers, and I am perfectly okay with that. <laughs> I think a lot of people would be okay with that. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I was torn because I was kind of thinking maybe I wanted to go O'Neill Cruz there, but I, I said, mm. whatever, I'll take Seager. I really like yeah. Seager and I wanted a share of him. And then this is where I decided that I wanted to grab a top closer, and I'm upset because I thought I could get Rizella Glacius in the fifth round. Because I participated in this for, this is my third year now, and the last two, I really didn't have closers, and I had a play the fab budget game and try to cycle mm -hmm. through closers and it was a big burden and it was so hard and I wanted to get one of the top 10 closers this season and I kind of wanted to pair that with someone else and I haven't done that yet spoiler alert but I took Ryan Helsley in the fifth and I'm pretty good with that because the Cardinals are a team that are going to try to make the playoffs right off the bat they know they're going to win Helsley was a breakout reliever last year and I mm -hmm. just think he had the best chance. My other options were Camilo Duvall and Felix Bautista, and I think Kenley Jansen as well. Sure. Yeah, out of, out of those four, I love Helsley. Me too, and that, that's what I led it to. In my rankings, I have Helsley higher than all of those guys. I really wanted Iglesias, like I said, but he went six picks before me, so I was kind of upset about that. I would have been much happier with Iglesias, but I think Helsley's going to be fine. And then on the turn, I took Max Fried as my SP1, and oh, okay. yeah. I'm actually very happy about that. I did not expect him to make it to me, Mm -hmm. and I'm glad I got him. And then I'll just speed through these real quick. On the next pick, I took Starling Marte, which I just thought was a really, really good value in the mm -hmm. seventh round. Obviously, he's got that core injury, and he had double surgery on his tendons. Like, it's a mess with him, and he's 34 years old, as we were saying before the podcast began. I just like Marte. If he's going to play 120, 130 games, I think he gives me 20-20. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm okay with that in the seventh round of a five outfield league. Sure. So yeah. I already have three outfielders in my first seven picks. I'm happy about it. Trout, Mullins, Marte, I'll take mm-hmm. it. Then I started shoring up the rotation. I went Logan Gilbert next, which I kind of had to make a decision between Gilbert, Kershaw, and Severino. Hmm. Okay. And yeah. I think I like Kershaw the best out of those three. <laughs> but yeah. I said for TGFBI, because I had the same problem last year and you learn through experience, that my starting pitchers, I kind of went for like K's and didn't have volume. And I said, let's kill him mm-hmm. with volume this year. So yeah. Freed is going to give me Freed, 180 yep. innings and probably a strikeout per inning. Gilbert, probably going to give me 180 innings, a strikeout per inning. My next pick, mm-hmm. Pablo Lopez, probably the same thing. So yeah. they're all players on pretty good teams. Minnesota's going to win you know, over 500, I think. The Mariners are a good team. The Braves are a good team. All will stack up wins. All will get me volume. All will give me strikeouts in some form. I'll take it. So mm-hmm. that's my three starting pitchers. And then the next round, this one's a little iffy. I went Joe Musgrove. He fell all the way to the 10th mm. round. And okay. yeah. how my thinking of this was, and maybe this is a tip for all of you in your drafts, is Joe Musgrove obviously dropped a weight on his toe and broke it. Yep. But he's going to be out, which I heard the time frame is four to six weeks. Mm-hmm. And it happened already, and opening day is in three weeks. So if you just cut that time frame, he's going to miss what? Three to four starts? That's nothing. And he fatigues at the end of every season. So if mm-hmm. you're going to tell me he's taking four weeks off to heal and be rested and then get back into throwing, and then he's going to pitch the whole season, he's an SP2 that I got in the 10th round. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, that's my thinking on it. And I think that was a steal of a pick. I think people are going to regret not taking Musgrove with the injury discount right now. And then my mm-hmm. last two picks, I took Vaughn Grissom, who I think is going to be a breakout at second base or shortstop is what he's going to play, but he has second base eligibility. And then I took mm-hmm. Josh Bell, which I absolutely love batting behind Jose Ramirez with Andres yeah. Jimenez and Ahmed Rosario batting ahead of him. So very happy about that. I think Bell is going to rack in a lot of RBI. And I think the Cleveland Guardians... Lineup is better than expected. So, yeah, that's my team right now. I think it's great. What do you think? I am very happy about it. Yeah, I, I think there's like a lot of solid, uh, obviously a lot of solid picks there. I, It's always interesting because I don't really love snake drafts. I, I just prefer auction drafts. Um, okay. And this is this is the first year that I've like really gone deep into understanding redraft strategy and things like that. Um, and ultimately, like... It, I, just to, I mean, you already talked about it a little bit at length, but I, I do really like the Musgrove pick at, at in the tenth round. Thank you. Yeah, I thought um, so too. Especially, especially considering like who you've got is right. You got Freed, and then you picked up um, Gilbert, and then Gilbert. Lopez. Yep, and then and Lopez, and then uh, Musgrove's your you know slots in as your SP four technically right now. Yep. But you know that's that's a really good good top four rotation. Um. In a league where we have nine pitcher slots, I believe. Yes. Um, and honestly, I've done a couple. I've done a couple mocks um, for these thirty rounders with with nine pitchers, and my goodness, that you're just scraping the bottom of the barrel. Oh yeah, big for time. for that that sixth seventh pitcher. So if you can at least establish a really solid top half of your rotation, um, it just makes it easier when you are looking for guys later in the rounds that you can. Um, you can gamble a little bit more and be willing to to take a little bit more chances on on who you're picking up. Yeah, so that's how I was thinking too. And the fact that I assembled this four rotation in the sixth through tenth round, I think is really good. Like obviously I took Helsley in the fifth, which is a reliever, but my rotation was all formed in round six through ten. And 
to get that quality of pitcher and that volume and that bulk, mm-hmm. I'm very, very happy about it. And right now, Jesus Lazardo is still on the board. And I really hope that I compare these guys <laughs> with Jesus Lazardo because I love yeah. his upside. But I really don't know what my next move is. But what about your team? Enough about my guys. How's your team looking through your five measly rounds so far? <laughs> yeah, well, so my team is funny because um, I've got four players. Uh, we can really talk about them at length. But yeah. Uh, I started off the the first round as well with Manny Machado. Yeah, Machado bros. Which is funny because I actually hated that pick. Um, I I kind of wanted to do a Tatis Austin Riley double tap. Okay. Um, just because Tatis it, to me, like, yeah, there's a lot of off the field stuff that's like really annoying. Like there, was, he just recently, I think someone, I think like a coach asked him if he was ready to go, and then he like mimed like he was throttling a motorcycle. It's just like, come on, dude, like <laughs> don't like just don't do this to us. Um, but at the end of the day, he's still kind of a generational talent, and one of those players who, if he goes off and you got him at pick fourteen, like that, that's that's top five value that you're able to get in the, at the end of your round. So Definitely. I really wanted to do a Tatis Riley double tap. Um, to me, Machado's Machado's decent with, and the speed is, you know, nice if he gets, you know, 10 steals out of yep. it. Riley, I think just has, has more power and is in a, you know, as good of a situation as Machado, I guess you could say. Um, so being able to maybe pass on Machado, get Riley instead, I, I was kind of maybe looking at that, but I took Machado and then lo and behold, the guy at, on the turn, took Tatis and Trout, both of the guys who I was hoping to pick up yep. on the way back. Um, so at that point, I'm like, well, do I pick up Riley and just go to third baseman for the fun of it? Um, because we do get, you know, a, a corner infield spot. Um, but I felt that that was just kind of a waste of a pick. Yeah. Um, so I ended up going Freddie Freeman, which I'm still pretty happy with. He was, um, based on my rankings, like the number six hitter on the board, basically. Um, uh, and so for me to get him in the second round, I was pretty happy about that. Um, and then coming back uh, in the third or fourth round, I went Seager Albies just to kind of shore up the middle infield. Um, there was a couple guys I was hoping was going to drop to me. Jazz, I I really love Jazz this Same. year. Yep. Um, and with that outfield eligibility as well, it would have been kind of a fun, you know, like uh, similar to when Mookie was was going hard back in the day. I think yep. he still is on Yahoo, in Yahoo. He's still a second baseman technically, and he should get second base eligibility this season because he's apparently going to be playing there more too. So well, he'll probably yeah, we're, pick we're, it up. We're, we're, We'll talk about that at the end of this show for yeah, sure. Yep. Um, but yeah, so Seager Albies I thought was was pretty solid. And Seager, it's, you know, kind of the same thing as you. Um, really love that that average that I think he's going to be able to get this year. Yep. Um, he's stellar already in OBP league. So um, in average league, in an average league like TGFBI, it's it's a little bit of a knock, but it's not too much of the, where you're not willing to draft him this high. And then Albies. He was available for me in the fourth round. Is he? I, I. He's no longer, you know, the number one second baseman that he was for the past couple of years. But honestly, I, I'm not sad about being able to get him in the fourth round. I, I, he's still a really, really good second baseman. Um, the only issue here is I don't have any outfielders, yep. um, and I don't really plan on taking one in the fifth or sixth round. Right. Right now, I'm really potentially looking at uh, a reliever. Um, We've got a couple names still left on the board. Ryan Helsley, who we already talked about. Ryan Presley, who I'm a little down on just because of some of the injury stuff last year. Rysel Iglesias is still is there, who I'm kind of hoping actually drops to me because that would be a really fun pickup. Um, and then uh, it, because CGFBI is a two-catcher league, I like drafting catcher early um, just so I don't have to deal with you know a potential, let's just say, 
Alejandro Kirk, Ryan Jeffers duo, you know, yeah, in, yeah, yeah. in the season, like that's just not going to be pretty. Um, so potentially looking at Salvi or, or Adley in the sixth round, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, but then that also means that I have no starting pitching and no outfielders, uh, in the starting in the seventh round of, of, um, of a 30 team of a 30 round draft. So we'll see how that strategy goes. Yeah. Um, that's really rough. I mean, Seager in the third, I, that's one round earlier than me, but that's like right around the same pick technically for right. Exactly. 14, so. Cause you yeah. were, you were, yeah, you were, were fourth round, third pick. I'm yeah. Yeah. Third yeah. round 14th pick. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So essentially the same thing, but yeah, Seager's a great pick. I love that option. And then Albies obviously is a big upside guy. And I, mm -hmm. like you said, jazz Chisholm, I wanted him bad. He went right before when I selected Cedric Mullins, I was going ah. to take jazz right there for second base and outfield for that flexibility. Mm -hmm. And I had to take Mullins because Chisholm was off the board. So that one yeah. was a little painful, but I, I really like the start that you have. Hopefully you can get your rounds going soon. If Iglesias makes it back to you, I'd probably take him. And right. yeah. for outfield, I would start getting on that early because Ben Brown, who's also a part of Pitcher List, he's in my TGFBI league, and he's mm -hmm. got one outfielder who he took in the seventh round. It was Steven Kwan, and that's his only okay. outfielder. So you don't want your outfield to look like that. Yeah. Sorry, it's, Ben. It's, it's tough. <laughs> like it, it, it's kind of interesting how, um, and you know, this is maybe digging a little deep in the strategy, but in, in these five outfielder leagues, like you think like, Oh, outfield's so deep, you know, like every team has three outfielders that are, you know, really solid and, you know, potentially even a fourth they have be contributing. Um, and then you realize when you're in like round 26 and you're like, I still need a fifth outfielder. And the best I can get right now is like, Randall Gritchick. Yep. You know, yeah, it's really who, who actually is probably going a little bit earlier. Maybe he's like 24th, 23rd round. So it's, but you are, yeah, truly, truly dealing with guys who, yeah, they play every day, but, you know, you're, you're just trying to get by. Yeah, it's tough. It's very, very thin. So for all of you in your drafts, make sure you get on outfield. But that's enough TGFBI talk for now. We'll probably talk more about it in the next episode because the draft might still be going for John at least. I don't know about mine. Yeah, we, might, we might be in like round eight. By yeah, then, so. yeah. You might be lucky enough to be in round eight by next week. So yeah. we'll see and we'll talk more about it next time. But before we get into the meat and potatoes of this episode, I'd like to remind all of you that you could follow our podcast on Twitter at ThisWeekPL and you can send us your fantasy baseball questions to our email at ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. Lastly, make sure that you subscribe to or follow the podcast on whatever streaming platform that you listen to your podcast on. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, we are on all of them. So make sure that you subscribe to the podcast and leave a five-star review if you enjoy listening to us. But let's start the AL and NL Central spring training guys that we are looking at for fantasy. John, get us started with those Guardians. All right. Yeah, we're going to start with the Cleveland Guardians who... Uh, finished atop the AL Central last year, which is kind of surprising. They had one of the, I think it was the second youngest team um, in the majors last year. They they started a bunch of rookies and young guys, and um, somehow Terry Francona was able to get them going. And one big reason why that worked out was Tristan McKenzie. Um, he had a breakout season. He threw 191 innings with a 2.96 ERA and a 0.96 whip, which is, um, yeah, those are low numbers. Um, and predictably, you know, that's pushed him up in drafts this year. Um, looking at Fantasy Pro's consensus ADP, he's basically a top 30 pitcher. He's like going kind of in that 25 to 30 range right now. Um, kind of in the in the between like the 8th and 10th round in, in drafts. Um, so what should we be looking for in spring, right? Tristan McKenzie, uh, 
big season last year, hoping to build on that this year. What are some things to look at? Um, I am taking a lot of this from um, Nick Pollock's write-ups on PitcherList. Uh, definitely check those articles out. He put out a couple of ones on what to look in spring and you know potential like sleepers and busts and things like that. So definitely if you're looking for uh, diamonds in the rough or maybe guys to avoid, uh, check out those articles. Um, but yeah, the, the thing to look for McKenzie is mainly his fastball. Um, first, where is the fastball velocity at? Uh, with his frame, you know, McKenzie is affectionately known as Sticks. Um, <laughs> it's just going to be difficult for him to generate a lot of velocity. He doesn't have a lot of mass behind him. Um, and he's just, you know, for, for lack of a better term, he's just kind of a noodle arm out there a little bit. Um, his fastball is at 92.5 miles an hour. That's kind of what it was sitting at for most of the season. Um, kind of the one thing good for McKenzie, though, was that the, the fastball velocity didn't really change too much throughout the season. It was, it was fairly consistent. Um, which is good. Um, but yeah, this spring, is his fastball going to be a little bit higher? It's a little bit tough to, to figure out those things at spring sometimes because not every single game has stack has data, which is kind of annoying. Yeah. Um, but, you know, based on maybe like uh, what beat writers are saying or, you know, maybe someone has is is at the game and is able to look at some stuff. Um, if he has a higher velocity, you know, if he's maybe hitting 94, if he's sitting, you know, 93, 94, that's kind of a thing to maybe, you know, pique your interest and maybe draft him a little bit higher than that that top that 25 to 30 range that that he's initially at right now um the other thing is where is he locating his fastball in relation to his other pitches um his two secondaries are his slider and his curve both of those are really really good pitches the curve is borderline elite um and the thing with his fastball though is that if you look at like um a kind of a, a just the the chart of where it's lo where its location is um in the strike zone it's kind of all over the place it's just like a big bloom um and uh, the one thing that's going to work for McKenzie is basically if he can get that fastball higher in the zone, uh, very similar to you know the Blake the Blake Snell blueprint, which is kind of all over pitcher list. Uh, basically, heaters high, breakers low. That's kind of the that's the blueprint itself. And so, where is he locating it in the spring? Is he is he making more of an effort to throw it higher in the zone? Last year, he had it at fifty percent high lock, which means about half his pitches were you know above the the middle area of the zone. Um, which is right around league average, you know, it's it's fine. But if we really want to see him take the next step of being an elite pitcher, he needs to get that up in the zone more. Like, for example, Robbie Ray, who is basically known for, yeah, that fastball-slider combo, his high lock and his fastball is about 60%. I mean, he's throwing it, you know, 60% of the time above the middle area of the plate. Um, so it's not even that big of a difference that McKenzie has to get to. It's just being able to locate that pitch a little bit better. Um, a lot of this is dependent on stack guys' data, velocity, location, things like that. It's not stuff that we're all we're always readily going to be able to see in spring. Um, for example, McKenzie pitched on Tuesday, and we got no velocity information on it, um, no information location either. But if we're able to see a couple things, maybe see some trends over the next three or four starts that he has in the next you know three weeks, that'll give us a little bit of idea of what he's looking at coming into the season. Um, and if the Guardians are, you know, trying to make a change in how he's throwing that fastball. Yeah, Tristan McKenzie is a very, very exciting pitcher. He is someone I think maybe takes a step back this season. But if he makes those improvements, if he can get that fastball a tick up and locate his stuff properly, he could be a very, very solid SP2 or SP3. And yep. I think he's got a lot of potential. I'm kind of nervous about him just because... Some of the stuff you said, like, if he doesn't locate his stuff well and his fastball sitting at 92, I think he's just going to be a little bit more hittable, especially with the shift changes. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. But I really like McKenzie. I hope nothing but success for this kid. I love the story that Marcus Stroman gave him a Rolex. Yeah. Did you hear that really whole fun. story? Yeah, it's pretty I cool. I did, yeah. Yeah, it was kind of – I was actually read it while I was doing research for the pod. I was like, oh, that's that's kind of fun. Like, it's it's cool to see, like, guys supporting other guys on teams and, um, you know, even though – you know they're they're on opposite teams. It's it's kind of cool to see that. Um, I completely agree. It's such a cool move yeah. from Strowman. Yeah. One thing to add too is that his whip, that point nine six whip, was ninth best in the league last yeah. year. Yeah. Yep. So the odds that he returns that this year is pretty low. Um, but I think you know it's not that we're expecting something that crazy from him. It's it's just the reality. Like we know he can reach those heights. Can he get close to that point this year? If yep. he is, then he's completely worth where he's getting drafted right now. I completely completely agree. Moving on to the NL Central, we'll start with the St. Louis Cardinals. Now, it's pretty easy to see why I'm excited about this player for fantasy and why I'll be watching him closely this spring. He's the number four prospect according to MLB Pipeline. That's Jordan Walker. He should be making his MLB debut this season. He's six foot five, 220 pounds, and his bat is electric. The two reasons why I love him for fantasy is because, one, he has an NFBC ADP of 255.9, which is practically free, especially in 10 to 12 team leagues. So in your typical Yahoo home league, he's probably going to be someone you take a late round flyer on 20th round, 21st, 22nd, somewhere around there. You can grab Jordan Walker and the ceiling is just astronomical for this kid. The reason for his ADP being so low is he's not guaranteed to make the team after spring training. If he does, then his ADP will likely shoot up a bit. But right now it's a steal of a price. Just for reference, he went I believe 185th overall in the TGFBI league. So his ADP is kind of going up already, but in this kind of format with industry experts, you can kind of expect that. But the second reason why I love Jordan Walker is because he has third base eligibility right out of the gate. And since the Cardinals have Nolan Arenado at the hot corner, Walker will most likely play in the outfield. So we have a top prospect that has third base eligibility, will gain outfield eligibility, which are two of the weakest positions this season for fantasy, that you can get for free in drafts. That sounds pretty good to me. Now, what I'm looking for in spring is, does he look ready? The Cardinals are a team that immediately have their sights on the playoffs, so if his defense in the outfield looks sloppy or he isn't having good at-bats this spring, they'll probably keep him down. They have a lot of mouths to feed in St. Louis between Tyler O'Neill, Dylan Carlson, Lars Newtbar, Brendan Donovan, Nolan Gorman, and so on and so on. However, Walker's bat is incredible, and they'll want to get it in the lineup ASAP if he looks good. Last year in AA, Walker played in 119 games and had a 306 average, 388 OBP, and an 898 OPS with 19 homers and 22 stolen bases. He's already hit a 430-foot homer off of Johnny Cueto in spring, and I'm very excited about this 20-year-old future superstar. John, what do you think about Jordan Walker? I mean, I think the hard part is what you already explained is, is he going to get a job? Right. Um, there's already been so much hype this year about Newt Barr, uh, about Carlson. Tyler Neal obviously is just going to lock down his spot in the outfield. Um, and like you mentioned, Aaron Otta's patrolling third base. So, yeah, where does Jordan Walker get at-bats? Um, you know, I I could see maybe the, the Cardinals trying to do some cycling um, through, you know, their players. Um, there's already kind of been talked to that Juan Yepes isn't really um, the de facto DH. You know, m maybe they're willing to you know, by keeping Walker's bat up, you know, play him in the in the DH slot for some for for some games. Um, the other thing to watch too here is there's I don't know how solid these rumors have been, but there's potential talk about 
Dylan Carlson going to the Dodgers because they need to fill, well, because they have a gaping hole in their infield, and right now that's maybe they're going to try to fill, fill it with outfielders, things like that. Um, it, it's hard to say. I think it's an interesting. I think it's an interesting situation to keep track of, though, because yeah, if if he's able to, um, if he's able to get a spot in opening day, and he's already free, uh, if it works out, great. If it doesn't, you just drop him. So, yeah, my favorite thing I, to do in drafts right now is to grab an older veteran guy or a guy that's kind of just possibly good and pair him with Jordan Walker, like grabbing Matt Chapman or Eugenio Suarez or Justin Turner a little bit earlier and then grabbing Jordan Walker afterwards. So that way mm -hmm. you have someone at third base. And then when Jordan Walker comes up, if the person you drafted like Justin Turner is struggling, for instance, you just plug in Walker and drop Turner. Yep. Yep. So, I, yeah, I think there's a lot of reasons for why you should take a flyer on him. Um the challenge, though, is it's just going to be a thing you're going to want to monitor is how, how that Cardinal outfield looks. Absolutely. I completely agree with that as well. But before we get into the rest of the teams, we'll be taking a short break. All right, we're back. John, hit us with another team from the AL Central. Yeah, the next guy I want to talk about is with the Chicago White Sox, um, Luis Robert, uh, who's kind of a kind of a fun name. Uh, fun fact, he's only managed to play 30 more games than Byron Buxton over the last three seasons. Wow. Um, this is a guy who has dealt with injury day in, day out. Last year, he didn't even he didn't hit the 100 game mark. He was at the in the 90s, I believe. Uh, but the reality is that uh, Robert is still captivating fantasy managers. He's a 46 player overall taken based on ADP. He's basically slotting in the fourth round for 12 and 15 teamers. Um, just a guy who a lot of people are still targeting despite the injury risk. I would say that he is a kind of a fringe first round pick. If, if we knew that he was going to play, let's just say, you know, 150 games, 650 plate appearances because he has 30, 30 potential. Um, and he can hit for average as well. Uh, the unfortunate reality is that we've got to be realistic about these things. He just has been injured a lot. Um, and it's not like, you know, major injuries like an ACL or, you know, like a, you know, a broken leg or something like that. Like he just has, you know, wrist injuries here or, you know, a, a tweak here or a tweak there. And it's just kept him out for games here on uh, games here and there. So the good or maybe bad thing about this spring training season is that Robert is actually be playing in the WBC for team Cuba. Um, so we'll be able to actually see him in more competitive game action compared to if he was playing a few innings each game in spring training. Um, the, I mean, Obviously, we don't want to see a guy get hurt, but we can get a better idea of, you know, for example, a nagging injury from last year where he was shut down earlier in the season due to a wrist injury. If that's still affecting him um, in, in the preseason. Uh, but other than, yeah, other than lazy take of just saying like, oh, we hope he's healthy. Another thing I just want to see with Robert is how he's approaching each at bat. Uh, Robert's strike zone judgment, which is basically a, a, you know, a measurement that we have from PLV of looking at how good a batter is at judging strikes or balls. Um, it actually dipped early in the season, uh, well below league average. He was basically just not able to tell the difference between a ball and a strike um, and really skyrocketed as the season went on. He got a lot better as the season progressed. Um, and one of the funny things is when you look at his underlying stats, he was in the second percentile for O swing percentage, meaning he swung at pitches outside the zone more often than 98% of all qualified batters. Um, that being said, though, his O contact, which is you know his ability to make contact outside the zone, was in the 40th percentile, meaning he made contact worse than the league average. Um, so even though he's swinging a lot at pitches outside the zone, he's not necessarily making contact there. 
He has been able to hit for a high average the past two years, so it's easy to forgive the tendency to just swing at everything. He is only 25. There is still you know, time for him to mature as a hitter. Um, he just has the ultimate confidence that he can turn those swings into hits. Um, and the nice thing is that even though he's swinging a lot, um, the counterpoint to that is that his walk rate is super low because he's basically not taking all these balls. Um He's his walk rate's four point two percent, which is good for three hundred twentieth in the majors among qualified hitters. Um, we don't really need Robert to walk more if he's getting on base. You know, if, if he's able to turn those O swings into to hits, you know, good for him. Um, but it certainly would be nice to see him hold back a little bit more and swing minutes more advantageous for him instead of just swinging and making contact because he can. Um, and because we're going to see him in more competitive action, I think that's actually something that we'll be able to make a little bit better judgment of. It doesn't mean that, you know, all of a sudden I'm like going to skip out on Robert um, if I am if I don't really have any injury concerns. Um, but it's just like a thing to, to pick up. You know, maybe that means you pick him up a little bit earlier. Um, maybe maybe that means you hold off a little bit if you just see that he's just not walking at all. Um, it's just it's just something good to check out for a guy who's still going really high in drafts. Um, and just, um, yeah, something to be mindful of. I really, really like Luis Robert for fantasy. Obviously, his potential is through the roof. We all know that. Last year in TGFBI, cycling it back again, I actually took Robert over Mookie Betts in round two. Ooh. And that, yeah, it hurt. But <laughs> Luis Robert is someone I fully believe in. And it's really, like you said, about seeing how he looks in the WBC, seeing how he looks in the high leverage stuff. And if he stays healthy, he should be great. But it's a big if because he just hasn't been able to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, and, and that's always the thing with guys who are injured, right? Like, you can only draft them based on how much risk you're willing to take um, versus the potential he has, right? Most most projections right now, like a lot of them use the same number in terms of games, right? So they have them between, you know, the lowest is zips at 104 games and the highest is, um, is death charts at 139, right? So a good chunk of projections don't think he's going to finish um you know even like a third maybe a third of the games uh, not a third of the games so like two thirds or three fourths of the games um that's just something to keep in mind like you know if you're willing to take that risk and just say like hey i'm okay with a guy sitting for about a month on my il if i'm able to you know fill his production with with you know a league average player if you're willing to take that risk i think robert is a guy that that you're going to get a lot of value for in the fourth or fifth round definitely Yep. Moving on to the next NL Central team, the Milwaukee Brewers. Now, let me preface this one by saying I'm a huge fan of this player, and I had him on practically all of my teams in 2022. That player is Freddie Peralta. I want him to be healthy and pitch well so bad this season that it hurts. In 2022, I was taking this guy as my SP1 with confidence in round three or four. Obviously, that didn't work out well because he had a lat injury as well as shoulder fatigue. But his potential is through the roof. Now, for spring training, it's all about health. Peralta came back in early August at the tail end of the 2022 season and managed to pitch 39 innings. However, he was mainly going two to four innings in each of those appearances. I'm not sure how many innings he'll pitch this season, which is the main concern. But his price in drafts is as cheap as it'll ever be. If he's healthy in spring and his fastball looks lively, he might be a league winner if he can rack up over, let's say, 150 innings pitched. So I'll be watching his starts to see how his stuff looks, how the velocity is, and if he just looks healthy overall. I'll probably have a lot of shares of Peralta, but it's certainly risky. He's kind of just like Luis Robert, infinite potential. 
but we just have to see them stay healthy for a full season because, man, Freddie Peralta can be so good. He could be a fantasy ace, but I'm really scared off by this shoulder, so I need to see something out of Freddie Peralta to just be healthy in spring. Yeah, I'm totally with you there. I mean, he's he's one of those guys who, when he's on, the stuff is electric, um, and you just see so much potential there. But then the problem is he's off a lot. So Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, the last five seasons, he's only topped 100 innings once. Granted, yep. there was the lockout year, so, you know, what? It, last four, really, last four real seasons, he's only topped 100 innings once. Um, and he's 26, so it's like, He's still young. It's not like an old age sort of thing. It's just he just has the tendency to get hurt a lot, which kind of sucks. Yeah, and the injuries are scary, too. A lat injury is never good. And then followed by mm-hmm. shoulder fatigue at the end. I mean, it just doesn't bode well for him. And I really hope he can stay healthy. Like I said, I think the Brewers need him to be healthy because they already lost Ashby for a little while. They have yep. Woodruff and Burns, of course, but then the rest of the rotation is kind of a head scratch. And the lineup doesn't yeah. even look that great. So the Brewers are kind mm-hmm. of in trouble. Yep. Yeah, it'll be tough for them to repeat as the, as the second team in, in this division. I agree. Uh, well, next, uh, I'm going to talk about my Minnesota Twins. There's a lot of guys I could talk about here. I actually really want to talk about Kenta Maeda, um, who didn't pitch all 2022 due to Tommy John. But the Twins kind of covered the bases a little bit with uh, picking up Pablo Lopez. So it's it's not that Maeda is like, not interesting to talk about. It's just that, like, well, he's... He, they're going to either play him or not, and that that's cool. So the the guy actually I'm really interested about is, is Alex Kirilov. Um, he's basically free in drafts. Um, he was a consensus top 100 prospect like two, three years ago, I believe. Um, a, lot, a lot of 30 homer potential, um, and basically the shine has worn off the last two years because he's been dealing with wrist injuries, what's been sapping his power, preventing him from realizing his full potential in the majors. Um, his 2021 rookie season was cut short by injury. Um, he had a really fun, like, four-game stretch where he was hitting homers in every single game, and you're like, okay, this kid's the real deal. Um, but then he ended up getting a wrist injury and, and was never the same. Um, and then last year, we thought he was healthy in spring, um, and turns out he actually re-injured that wrist. Um, and so it was cut short. His season was cut short again. Um, he was sent out of the minors for a little bit, was raking in AAA, came back up and just couldn't contribute. So... Um, he eventually got surgery this offseason. Um, basically, the way I understood it is that they shortened one of his bones in his forearm so that his wrist is more normal, I guess. Um, and this was an injury that the Twins were kind of considered like a worst-case scenario. Like, if, if we have to do it, we'll do it. Um, but it seems like the Twins are at least optimistic because they traded the guy who was playing first base previously, Luis Arias. Um, and they're... Not basically handing the job to Kirloff, but basically it's his to take. Um, and at risk of beating a dead horse and just wanting to say we want to see if a guy's healthy during spring. Um, the other thing I want to see is whether the power's back this offseason. Um, he is being brought up a little slowly. Uh, he's not, you know, without restrictions right now in spring. Um, but if we can see him hit bombs in the spring training, I think this is a good sign that the wrist is healthy again. Um, that's always going to be the way that he contributes to the game. He he can hit for average, but frankly, the Twins don't care if he hits for average because they just traded the last guy who did that, and he just won the batting title. Um, so, yeah, is he hitting homers? Is he looking like a guy who could potentially have 30 homer potential? Um, if that's the case, 
And I believe he does have out, he does have outfield eligibility. I'm not 100 sure on that. It, it'll depend on your league, but he might have outfield eligibility. If this is a guy that you can get at the end of your drafts, um, who you know is able to slot in and in first base or slot in in that last outfield spot, and you can maybe get 25 homers from him, uh, I think that'll be a real fun pick to look back on at the end of the season. So on NFBC, Kirilov has only outfield eligibility at the moment. Really? Yep. Only outfield eligibility. Only outfield. Yep. And he's that's fascinating. Got an ADP of three hundred and twenty-eight point five. So yeah, essentially free. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, knowing that information, I, I think it, it's definitely worth taking a flyer on him. Seeing how dry outfield is this year, um, if you can get that type of power, and he does, he does kind of hit for average. It's not just he's not just a three true outcomes kind of guy. Um, he he kind of hit for average. Um, that that might be kind of a fun pick to think about at the end of your drafts. I also think it's a fun pick, and I love Kirilov. I think he's so good, and I really think he could be one of those guys who will have like a 280, 290 average and can hit 25 to 30 homers. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that's scary is that wrist. I mean, he had yeah. his wrist shaven down. That's What is that? I mean, yeah, like, dude. It's... That's scary. What like <laughs> You had your bone I... shaven down? Yeah, there was one other guy who I think has had this surgery, and I can't remember who it is. Um, but... It it's basically like a super rare surgery for any really anyone to do, uh, but more so like he's doing this so he can play baseball. And most other people, I feel like, just if you're just a normal guy who doesn't you know hit balls for a living, you're just like, okay, well, I can't swing a bat. Yeah. Oh no, whatever, you know. But because he is a baseball player, it's like, well, this is the only way that he can maybe be healthy, right? Um, and so, yeah, that's why he is, he underwent the surgery and hopefully it, it really works out for him. Cause it would really suck if, if, you know, if this wrist injury is the reason why he won't be able to really contribute as a major leaguer ever. Yeah. Alex Kirilov has the holographic Charizard of wrist injuries. It's super rare. So <laughs> that's not good for Kirilov, but hopefully he's healthy because I think he's a very exciting player as well. Yeah. Moving on to the NL central again, we've got the Chicago Cubs. Finally, we're not talking about someone who we just want to see healthy. There are a lot of interesting players that you might want to keep an eye on that are on the Cubbies. Like Cody Bellinger is a bounce back coming. Matt Mervis, will he make the team? However, I'm going to go with Jamison Tyone. He's been a pretty mediocre pitcher for fantasy for the last two seasons, finishing 2022 with 177.1 innings pitched, a 3.91 ERA, 1.12 whip, and only 151 strikeouts. He did have 14 wins, but we'll credit that to the Yankees team being good, more so than Tyon being good. The one thing that intrigues me with Tyon is the reason why he went to the Cubs. Apparently, the Cubs contacted him really early on in free agency, and they sold him on the Wrigley Field experience and the history of the team. But most importantly, they told him that they think they can improve his mechanics, pitch mix, and revamp his slider. Tyon's slider was always alright, but it wasn't really a strikeout pitch, and same goes for the curveball. But with the Cubs, Tyon wants to throw his curveball more, which he was previously throwing 15% of the time, and cut back on the four-seamer a little bit. So in spring, I'm going to be watching Tyon and seeing what these new mechanics look like. Obviously, he has to adjust to the pitch clock as well. But I want to see what his new mechanics ultimately look like. And seeing this new revamped sweeping slider. He apparently threw it in his first spring training game, and it looked pretty good. And I got to see more of it, so I will be watching that. Now, Tyone might not be an ace for your fantasy team, but for someone that's going really late in your drafts, 
He could be extremely helpful at the back end of your rotation. I think he has some good upside depending on what we see in spring. If that slider looks more of a sweeping action that gets strikeouts and whiffs, if that curveball is being thrown more, if the four-seamer is being scaled back a little more, the sinker is being thrown a little better, I think he could be a really good SP4-5 that you're getting for like an SP7 value. And I think that he's somewhat exciting to watch in spring. So one fun thing here is Tyone's first start is likely going to be coming against the Brewers, who we just so talked about as not having a lot of promise. Yep. So if you draft him, you know, late late in your drafts, and he goes off against Milwaukee, yep. you just found a guy who, you know, will at least play serviceable baseball for a month or so. Um, it allows, And if he's terrible against Milwaukee, right, if it's just, like, not looking good. You know, then you could just drop him and maybe pick him up a little bit later down down the road if if he ends up, you know, turning it around. Um, I, I do think it's one of those fun pickups, though, where it's like you are getting a guy because he is likely going to get you a good performance in week one of your leagues. Um, and, yeah, I think Tyone is is someone who, who can contribute more than just like a good week one start uh, for the rest of the season. Yeah, Nick Pollock is a huge proprietor of get someone in your drafts that has a good schedule for the first week or two, especially someone with some upside or potential with some different changes in their approach, whether it's a pitcher or hitter, because like you said, he's against the Brewers in his first start, Tyone that is. And if he dominates the Brewers and his stuff looks good, you'll hold Mm -hmm. on to him pretty much. And you might get a good month or two months out of him, maybe a whole season. But Mm -hmm. if he does stink, you can just drop him and use him as a streamer from there on forward. So I think it's a great idea to grab him late in your drafts and just see what you got. Use him for that first start. And if he's good, awesome. Yep. Well, moving back to the AL, uh, another guy who actually isn't injured, uh, but boy, did he play poorly last year. Um, I'm talking about Spencer Torkison, who he's, uh, it was not pretty last year, to say the least. Um, he drafted in 2022, right? So he was, this was his second year as a pro. We're really, f- yeah, second year as a pro, basically. Um, and he was number one, drafted number one, because he was basically one of the best college hitters to ever play the game. Right? That that was kind of Torque's calling card, um, and that's why everyone was so excited when he came up uh, and when he was announced to be on the opening day roster last year. Um, this was a guy who was like kind of, you know, deep sleeper. A lot. You know, that's kind of what articles had characterized him as a deep sleeper last year. Then the Tigers announced, hey, he's uh, actually going to make the roster and be starting for us as the first baseman. Um, and it's not that he just rocketed up drafts, but so he's suddenly a guy that you know people were taking that was like, oh, this is my starting first baseman, Spencer, Spencer Torkelson. Uh, the problem is all that preseason hype did not translate to season uh, performance um, because it started really slow for him, actually. It was kind of like kind of sad, but interesting in a way where you know, everyone was on torque watch. You know, when is he going to get his first hit? Um, it took him five games to get his first hit. Um, frankly, it didn't really get much better after that. Um, the Tigers stuck with him throughout the season. They they tried to get him everyday reps. He finished with 110 games played with 404 plate appearances. So I think we got a pretty good sample size for for how he looks in the majors. Uh, just was never able to get anything going, though. He finished the season with eight homers, 28 RBI. His average was barely above the Mendoza line. Uh, just not a good season. Um Still, it's hard to not want to give up on Torkelson, especially with his track record in college and in the minors. Um, you know, he was just raking the last four years in baseball, just wasn't in the pros. 
Um, so ultimately this year, what are we looking for in spring? I just want to see him comfortable. You know, maybe there was some rookie jitters that he was dealing with. Uh, just the, maybe, you know, the pressure of being, you know, the number one pick trying to, you know, resurrect this sad Tigers organization. Um, yeah, if he just looks a little bit more relaxed, if he's just looking like he's having fun out there um, and just kind of getting back to his roots of just being a, a good hitter, um, you know, I, I'm i hoping that he's able to recapture that magic that made him the number one pick in 2020. If, if he's looking good in spring, um, I think it might be worth taking a flyer on him late in the drafts, you know, not as your starting first baseman, of course, but maybe just a, a bench guy that you can keep around. Uh, and if it if it works out for him, if he's he's be able to you know spray the ball around it at Comerica, especially since I think they're bringing in some of the fences there. I'm not 100 percent sure about yeah, that. Yeah, they're changing the dimensions. Yep. Yeah, they're changing the dimensions just a little bit. I'm not saying that's going to make Torkelson like all of a sudden like so much better of a hitter, but that's got to help a little bit, right? Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's going to be one thing that I'm looking at is is this is a guy that could I keep on my bench for the first month of the season. Yeah, Torkelson has so much potential, as we keep saying with most of these guys, obviously. Everyone's got potential. But Torkelson, like you said, was one of the best college hitters ever. So with that kind of pedigree, you just expect him to be good eventually. And why not now? You know, if he just makes those changes and adjustments to the plate and can figure things out and really get adjusted to MLB pitching, he could Mm -hmm. be one of the best first basemen in the game. Yeah. I mean, his his OPS in college, get this, was 1.192. Oh, my God. Like... Like his slugging was 729. Yeah, like, this disgusting. guy was incredible. And the minors, it wasn't like that much worse than 889 OPS in the minors. That's that's really good. It's just the problem is he hit the majors and then he had a 604 OPS. Um, so yeah, it's it was just it was a really tough transition for him. And maybe you know after 404 plate appearances, he is seeing the ball just maybe a little bit better. Yeah, we can only hope. And I wanted to make one more point on the Detroit Tigers. Someone who I'm very excited about in spring training, just as a little bonus, is Austin Meadows. Now, I really loved Meadows ever since he had that great season with the Rays. I liked him Mm -hmm. as a prospect a lot, and he obviously got traded to the Tigers. And there was something that really didn't come out until later at the end of the 2022 season. Now, we all know Meadows struggled with a bunch of problems during that whole season in 2022. Mm -hmm. He had an Achilles tendonitis injury. He got COVID. He had vertigo. Like, this guy had a rough time. Plus, he moved from Florida to Detroit, and it came out that he had some really bad depression and deteriorating mental health just through all of this. So now he's in a much better spot. He said he's doing much better, and he's also in spring training with his brother, Parker Meadows. They're playing on the same team now. So I think he's going to be in good spirits. And for some reason, leading off for Detroit, I just see a really good season for Meadows coming. And I think if he's in a better mind state and if he's feeling better, which is so important to be in a good mental health state, especially Mm -hmm. if you're a major league baseball player. So with all that stuff going on last season, I think it just added up to being a lost year for him. And I think he Mm -hmm. can get back to being great, especially as a deep, deep outfielder in your leagues. Yeah, Meadows is definitely a guy who, last year I think a lot of us were excited that he was going to go to Detroit. Yep. Um, and yeah, it just it just never worked out for him. But yeah, he's a guy who I mean, roster resource right now hasn't batting cleanup, um, which I, it doesn't really mean that much for the Tigers, I guess. But you know, it's it's this is still a guy who could potentially hit twenty homers, um, if everything's right, uh, you know, mentally speaking for him. So yeah, definitely a fun name to keep an eye out for. 
Yeah, I'm rooting for Meadows. I hope he has a good season. Mm -hmm. Now, moving back into the NL Central, the Cincinnati Reds have a lot of exciting guys. Now, I'm cheating a little bit by choosing two players here, but since these guys are always grouped together, I have to do that here. It's Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo. Both of these guys are labeled as breakouts for this fantasy season, and I believe that they both will. I'll start with Green, who I'm personally higher on this season. I'm with Nick Pollock, who sees the fantasy ace potential in Green too. Now, Lodolo has that as well, but just not to the same degree. Green mainly throws two nasty pitches, and PLV loves them both. The four-seamer is constantly over 100 miles per hour, and the slider is wicked. Across Green's final six starts last season, he had a 1.02 ERA, a 0.85 whip, a 37% K rate, and a 6% walk rate. That's disgusting, and that's his upside. He's only 23 years old and is still developing at the moment. He worked a lot with driveline, so that's always good to see. So I'll be looking to see how his command is in spring training. Is the fastball being thrown up in the zone? If so, then Green is going to be extremely exciting and a possible top 10 fantasy pitcher. He's fastball focused and effectively wild, as Nick says. As for Lodolo, I'm kind of looking for the same thing as Green. How's the sinker command and how does the changeup look? The sinker had a pretty high hard contact rate against right-handed hitters, so if he can locate it better and not middle-middle, or change the pitch mix to righties with an improved changeup, we'll see a big step forward for Lodolo. Both of these guys pitch in a terrible home ballpark, but their skill set is immaculate, and I think both of them will have their time to shine in 2023. So John, between Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo, who do you like more? Oof. If I had to draft one of these guys, I think I'm taking Lodolo only because I think he's maybe more consistent. Yes, I agree with that. Um, But Green could be, like you said, he could be so good. Like those last six starts were incredible um and i i thought i think we saw him develop over the season right because he came in as this guy who was throwing you know he had the triple digit fastball but we really didn't know what else he had and honestly that fastball was super hittable um but he developed that slider throughout the season it was getting better and better as the season went on um and yeah he actually he learned how to pitch better through the season. And we got to see that in action with those last uh, few starts of the season. Um, I, well, Adolo to me just feels more safe. That That's kind of what I would say. It's, it's a high ceiling pick, but Green's... Uh, sorry, it's a high floor pick, but Green's ceiling is just so much higher. Yeah, that's the exact analysis I would say as well. Adolo is definitely safer, and he's got huge upside too, but Hunter Green's is through the roof. He could be a top 10 fantasy pitcher if all things break right. Because mm -hmm. Hunter Green has that kind of legit stuff, the Christian Javier, Spencer Strider kind of stuff that just will propel him into the stratosphere. Yeah. Also, keep an eye on Ellie De La Cruz with the Reds. Just throwing a name out there for you guys. He's a prospect, really good. He's got like the O'Neill Cruz kind of build. He's going to be very good when he gets called up. Yeah. Before we get into the last two teams, uh, we're going to take a quick break. All right. And we are back uh, finishing up the AL Central and NL Central divisions. Uh, I'm going to go first with the Kansas City Royals. There's actually a lot of fun names here. Um, they brought up a lot of young players up last year. Bobby Witt, MJ Melendez. Uh, but the guy I want to focus on is Vinny Pasquantino. Um, and it's kind of funny, actually. He's the third first baseman I'm talking about for the AL Central. So there's a lot of good young first basemen um, in this division, uh, which is very interesting. They're all hoping to make a big break. And I think Vinny P is maybe the most intriguing out of them all. 
Um, in close to half a season of work, Pasquatito put up some very impressive numbers. He finished at a 90th percentile or better in K percentage, walk percentage, average, and OBP. Not to mention he was also in the 97th percentile in hard contact. Now, this isn't terribly surprising given that he's always had a stellar K-minus walk rate in the minors. Um, it's just cool that it translated into the majors. Uh, I believe his walk rate was like around 11% and his K rate was uh, 11 point. So his walk rate was 11.7. His K rate was 11.4. This guy's a rookie managed to have a negative uh, K minus BB, uh, which is incredible. Um, based on consensus ADP right now, VDP is the seventh first baseman off the board, uh, kind of right behind Matt Olson and, and Jose, Jose Abreu. Um, and there's maybe an argument that he could be even higher than Abreu. I, I don't know where, where I would side on that right now. Um, his contact ability in 2020 was elite. The only knock on him was that despite having the 97th percentile hard contact, um, he wasn't able to translate hard contact into homers. Um, he finished the season with a below average expected extra bases added. Uh, it's just another PL metric that we have that basically is able to look at how good was your power throughout the season. Um, and it, it wasn't great for him. However, we do see flashes of a guy in spring that could be a 30 home run hitter this year. Um, it'll be challenging to kind of want to draft a first baseman early if I know that I can get Pasquantino five, six rounds later um, instead pick up you know one of those guys that we've been talking about, like a third baseman, an outfielder, maybe an, a middle infielder as well, um, instead of going for those elite first basemen like Freddie Freeman, um, or uh, or Vlad. I currently have Pasquantino as first baseman number seven in my rankings, mm-hmm. and I have Jose Abreu above him, but I could flip that at any point in time because that's how close they are. Like I really believe in Jose Abreu this season to have a bounce back mm-hmm. and be great with the Astros, yeah. but Vinny Pasquantino has a special skill set. Like He walked more than he struck out last season, and that's mm-hmm. not easy to do, especially in today's game. So yeah, yeah. I'm very impressed with Pasquantino. He's got an awesome nickname in the Italian breakfast. So <laughs> I really yeah. like this guy a lot. And I just want to see him do it for a full season once. Obviously, this is the time yeah. to buy in now because the price mm-hmm. is low. Because his yeah. price will go up astronomically if he has a great season. But yeah. it's a close call between him and Abreu. It really depends on what you need. I think if you need more RBI... Mm-hmm. You probably go with Abreu, but if you just yeah, want more totally. potential, maybe average, maybe OBP, mm-hmm. Pasquantino is probably your guy. Yeah, it, it's going to be interesting how the counting stats look um, this season, which is, is kind of ironic to think about for rookies because oftentimes we focus more on their ratios rather than, rather than right. the counting stats. But yeah, with, with AP, the, the, the counting stats are just not there, which is because he's playing for the Royals. Yep. Um, it's hard to hit RBIs when no one's on base. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but it is a young team that's looking to break out, right? Like Vinny P is there, MJ Melendez, uh, Bobby Witt. Um, and th- there's just a lot of potential on that team. And it's going to be exciting to see how they look this season. Um, you know, if they're, if they're going to start making a push to finish higher than just last in the AL Central. I agree. And speaking of rookies, we'll move on to the final NL Central team, the Pittsburgh Pirates. And I'm sorry for the obvious pick here, but it's O'Neill Cruz. Duh. Who else would I talk about on the Pirates? <laughs> I mean, come on now. Let's be real. So O'Neill Cruz told reporters that he aims to go, and I quote, 30-30 or 40-40 this year. 
Sure, it's just words, but Cruz has the potential to actually do it. The fact that the intention is there and the goal is in Cruz's mind makes me very excited as a fantasy manager. As we said with Pasquantino, he might not get a lot of RBI because you can't get RBI when people are not on base. And the only person that <laughs> might get on base on that team is Brian Reynolds and maybe Andrew McCutcheon. So, and uh, Reynolds might get shipped off. So. And Reynolds might be out soon. So yeah, O'Neill Cruz doesn't have a very good supporting cast around him, but if he's leading off or batting second, maybe third... Could he go 30, 30, or 40, 40? Absolutely. Might he have 60 RBI and 60 runs with that 30, 30, 40, 40? Yeah, possibly. But at least the intention is there. For fantasy managers, that's all you want to hear. That O'Neill Cruz wants to go 30, 30, or 40, 40. That is awesome. We would be thrilled with that result. In 87 games last season, Cruz had a 233, 294, 450 slash line with 17 home runs and 10 stolen bases, which obviously that slash line is not good. The main problem there is the average and OBP, of course. You can't go 30-30 or 40-40 if you're not getting on base and you're striking out a lot. For spring, I'll be watching Cruz to see how his plate discipline is. Is he chasing pitches out of the zone? Is he striking out frequently? In 2022, he had a K percentage of 34.9. That's not very good. If he can get that down to just 27 to 28%, his 30-30 or 40-40 goal is completely possible. He just needs to cut that strikeout rate down. We saw the K percentage go down towards the end of the season last year, which is what you want to see. And remember, he's only 24 and is still adjusting to MLB pitching. With 100th percentile max exit velocity, 96th percentile barrel percentage, and 98th percentile sprint speed, Cruz has all of the tools to be a first-round talent in fantasy. He just needs to strike out less. I personally think the sky's the limit for Cruz, and I am all in on him this season. I am so happy that I have him as a keeper in my home league in the 19th round for three years. I cannot wait to see what this kid does, but yeah, the sky's the limit for him. Yeah, I the only exposure I have to Cruz right now is... Um in dynasty he's my starting shortstop which i'm very excited about oh that's beautiful uh, but he's just been going higher that it, like people have just been snatching up and all the rejects that i'm doing so yep uh, it's a little unfortunate but it, if the, there's one thing to highlight about cruz it's that um if you've been following you know, scott chu on twitter uh, or even in this court he's been post he's been on a kick of posting all these rolling charts that we've been being able to get from plv and the cool thing with cruz is that his contact ability has been was going up as the season progressed yep he was below average the entire season and there was a tick basically from the last month i guess of the season where he started creeping closer to mlb average and then eventually ended above um, mlb average so he clearly learned how to deal with major league pitching last year um and it'll be cool to see him take those lessons and hopefully incorporate it into that lower strikeout rate. It's a game of adjustments, right? Like, O'Neill Cruz came up, he had to get adjusted to pitching, so he was kind of weak. Then he mm -hmm. kind of got it. He figured it out, yeah. but then the pitchers adjusted to him. And mm -hmm. then he got that again. And the fact that he's picking up on all of this, learning, we're seeing progress as it goes on. And we even saw, like I said, the strikeout rate cut down as he got better with hitting mm -hmm. towards the end of that season. It's just yeah. all promising signs that just makes you feel like he's going to explode onto the scene. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm very excited for Cruz because it's probably going to be the only thing that makes the Pittsburgh Pirates watchable this year. Yep, unfortunately. But <laughs> that wraps up the AL and NL Central team previews for the people that we're watching in spring training for fantasy purposes. Hopefully those names are 
helpful to you and maybe we gave you some information that you didn't know already. But before we go, we're going to tell you about all the MLB news that happened since our last podcast. We just have five and they're all pretty substantial. So to kick things off, Jordan Alvarez has not swung a bat yet during spring training due to a sore left hand. Astros and Alvarez both are not worried that he'll be available by opening day. He should be okay. This is something he dealt with last season as well, and he's still put up fantastic numbers. So hopefully it's not a big deal, but you don't want to hear anything bad about Jordan and his hands at the current moment. Gavin Lux is out for the season with a torn right ACL, and this one was extremely brutal to watch. I don't know if you saw the clip, John, but it looked so bad. He was rounding second and trying to avoid a throw, and his knee just went the complete wrong direction. Jeez. I I did not see it. I don't plan on watching it. But yeah, um, yeah, that doesn't sound good at it's, all. It's And it sucks for Lux, too, because you know the Dodgers were super high on him this offseason. Yeah, it's one of those injuries that you don't want to watch on a clip, like one of those basketball injuries where they plant their oh, feet and it hurts no, or rolls their yeah. ankle or yeah. like the Anderson Silva thing with UFC. Like you don't want to see uh, that stuff. And that's no. kind of what happened with Gavin Lux. It wasn't as bad as those, I'll say, but yeah. it just went the wrong direction. You immediately knew it was bad. He got carted off the field. So yeah, he has a torn right ACL. He'll be out for the season. He was slated to be the everyday shortstop for the Dodgers, which he was finally getting his break to do so now with Trey Turner gone and it's unfortunate that he won't be able to perform this year. Now Miguel Rojas will be the everyday shortstop for the Dodgers. And as you were hinting earlier, and I was hinting earlier, Mookie Betts might play some second base. Chris Taylor might play some shortstop as well. They might try to acquire an outfielder like Dylan Carlson to mm-hmm. fill in for Mookie. So there might be a lot of moving parts with the Dodgers. Keep an eye on their moves. Tyler Glasnow has an oblique injury and is out for six to eight weeks. It could be tough for him to get back to full strength, as obviously obliques can be difficult for a pitcher. And speaking of obliques, Seiya Suzuki has withdrawn from the World Baseball Classic due to an oblique injury as well. He's out for the same timeline, six to eight weeks. Just brutal for these two guys, which Seiya we had for a weak position in outfield as a really nice middle option for you. And Tyler mm-hmm. Glasnow, a potential fantasy ace, so really sucks that they will be out for six to eight weeks. Hopefully those obliques heal nice and fine. And lastly, Joe Musgrove fractured his left big toe during a workout in the weight room. He dropped a kettlebell on it, which just sounds so painful. Bob Melvin says it will be a minimum of a couple weeks before he throws. I personally heard that it's a four to six week recovery on an injury like that. But once again, I'm not a doctor and I'm just looking at sources on Google and Twitter. So hopefully Joe Musgrove heals up quickly. But the good news for him is that it was a freak accident. It's not like his arm hurts or there's any actual injury. It was a freak injury during a workout. So that is all the news and notes from the MLB since our last podcast. John, any comments on any of these? Uh, Glasnow is this is the interesting one because this was a guy who everyone was super high on. Like all the all the pitching models were super high on. Yep. Um, pitching plus, I believe, had him as like the fourth best ERA. Um, the pitcherless his own projection system was really high on Glasnow as well. Um, and the problem with oblique injuries is that even if you are healed, quote unquote, like it's just, it's just something he likely is going to have to deal with his entire season. And it's, it's kind of, it's not something that I want to deal with. Um, on the flip side, Joe Musgrove, like you mentioned, freak accident, it's his big toe. Yes, of course it's going to hurt. Um, and it might not be completely healed, but it's not going to affect how he pitches as much in my opinion. 
Um, so if, you know, Musgrove was ranked a little bit lower than Glasnow, or maybe they're around the same preseason. But with these injuries, I'm staying as far as away as I can from Glasnow. Gender Musgrove, I'm kind of willing to take a late flyer, kind of similar to what you did in TGFBI. Yeah, Glasnow is actually still on the board in my TGFBI league, and I'm not touching him with a 50-foot pole either this mm-hmm. season because I'm just terrified. And he's maybe going to give you, what, 80 innings this season? And they're going to be good innings, I bet, but that oblique yep. is scary and all of his other injuries. I'm just way off of Glasnow. And Musgrove, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I took him in TGFBI because he's going to miss about three to four starts, and he's not actually injured. This guy usually mm. tapers off at the end of the season and fatigues a little bit, and the Padres were even rumoring a six-man rotation. So the fact that they can start with a five-man rotation, give one of those guys like Seth Lugo or Nick Martinez a break, put him in the bullpen when Musgrove comes back, Musgrove can mm. finish out the whole year and be a solid SP2 for your team that you're getting in the ninth, 10th, 11th rounds. Yeah, I, I, I do think that that pick is is definitely worth looking at and especially if you if you're in a league that has il spots you just start out the season with musgrove on your il and maybe you pick up a guy like jameson tyone yep for his one start um and if it goes well great you keep him if he goes poorly you you know maybe keep him long enough for musgrove to come back and now you're good yeah that's an exact strategy i'll be employing Uh, luckily TGFBI does not have any IL spots, but Mm -hmm. I don't mind having Musgrove on the bench for a guy of his stature. So not too mad about that. But those are all the news and notes for Major League Baseball. And that wraps up this episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Hopefully you enjoyed that. And remember, next week we'll be covering the AL and NL East. Before we go, make sure that you follow us on Twitter at ThisWeekPL and send us your comments and questions to our email at thisweekplpod at gmail.com. You can find John on Twitter at thejohnka. That's T-H-E-J-O-H-N-K-E. And you can find myself on Twitter at regicidal. That's R-E-G-I-C-I-D-A-L. Also, please subscribe to the Pitcherless Podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you can find us. And leave us a five-star review if you enjoyed this episode of the show. Lastly, sign up for Pitcherless Plus. By doing so, you can join us in the PitcherList Discord and get advice from all of the fantasy experts and writers over there. But that's all for this week. We'll be back with another episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball next week when we begin our regular season scheduling. For John, I'm Lee. We'll see you in the next one. Later, everyone. Later, everyone.